everybody and welcome back to Writing the Rapids. This is another rejoinder episode brought to you by my Patreon people who have become large enough in number so that I can do this. The rejoinder episodes, which is what you're listening to now, is a half-sized episode with someone who's been on the show before to talk about the work that they've been doing lately. In this case, we have Noah Cicero talking about his new book out of House of Lad Press called Noah Cicero's Wild Kingdom. For those of you who missed the first episode with Noah Cicero. Noah Cicero was born in 1980 in a field in Northeast Ohio. He grew up in a small town with one red light. He has worked at restaurants and grocery stores. He sleeps on a floor mat in a messy bedroom. He has to have a roommate because he cannot afford his own apartment. He drives a 2004 Toyota Corolla. He does not have any cats or dogs. He has no children or wife. He's without anything worth having. Despite this, he keeps existing. Before we get into the episode, let me once again mention the Patreon people who make this show worth doing. You can become one yourself at patreon.com slash noisemakerjoe. I got a $2, a $5, and a $10 tier. What all of those get you is spelled right out on the website. That website again, patreon.com slash noisemakerjoe. Or paypal.me slash noisemakerjoe for a one-time donation little morsel you can throw me, but... That's enough of me begging, so let's get into my conversation with Noah. When we last spoke, you hadn't written anything in a while. You said, um, this book seems like it was written entirely during the pandemic. Is that the case? Yeah, it was uh, last summer. I had a job and I quit it, and I wrote Las Vegas Bootlegger, and then I a week passed. And then I wrote this book in like two weeks or something. Mm. And um, yeah, I quit my job and I was just like, I just went swimming every day um, at the pool and I didn't care about anything. And I was just kind of, con- I would write in the morning, I would get a venti iced coffee and write in the morning and then I would just uh, go lay in the pool for uh, an hour or two and then kind of lay in the pool and stare into space and contemplate the next poems I would write for the next day wow that sounds really nice oh it was a great it was a great thing well i could tell that i was gonna lose my mind because there was the pandemic then there were the riots and then Mm. so many people were going nuts around me and i was like you know i need to like recharge like it doesn't matter we're in the middle of the pandemic who cares if i have a job right like that's not the point of life the point of life is to kick the can down the road until you're dead and so i was just like okay i'm just like not gonna work for two months i have enough money in the bank if i just eat eggs and ham sandwiches and don't do anything wild don't buy any clothes or don't buy shoes you know i can survive two months and then i survived two months and i got a job in a fucking week after i put my application and i was like okay i'm back to work because you always get go to back to work yeah because you know you're just condemned to go back to work one day <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, I, what an existential uh, piece of dread that, I, that just got <laughs> dropped on me. That's so funny. I, um, I, I most recently interviewed A.S. Coomer, who who writes full time and does music full time, and the idea of just taking time out of the world to write is so terrifying to me. Like I don't have kids. I have a wife who has a pretty decent job, but like the idea of saying, ah, for two months, just "Mm, nah, I don't feel like it is. It seems like something that only other people can do. So 
man, I just don't even know. Well, I mean, like, I think, well, I don't have kids and I don't have any girlfriend or a wife. So I don't, I don't have those types of responsibilities and I don't pay, I don't pay a lot in rent. So I don't, I've, I've made my life as reduced as possible. Mm. So, yeah, so I don't, I don't know. I don't think I care about work too much either. So do you, you're afraid that we, you go to work 40 hours a week? I have two part-time jobs. So I I work closer to like 50 ish hours a week. I think, you know, it was just like the pandemic. It was like an unusual moment in one's life. And I thought maybe I should fully experience it. And people were so weird. And my friends, a lot of them went crazy. Like a lot of them had to go on pills. One had to go to a mental ward. Oh dear. And I was like, because I had taken two months off just to swim and be creative, I, I was like kind of there for them because I wasn't mentally destroyed by the whole thing. So I thought that would be, you know, like that served a purpose in the sure. long run. It really seems like you had the pandemic that, that everybody kind of wanted where I remember when lo- the lockdown started, everyone's like, this is it. Write your book. You have no excuse. And then, you know, six months later, everyone's like, hey, everybody, it's okay if you didn't write the book. This is really stressful for everybody. Just, you know, take time off. So I think it's fantastic that you wrote too uh, during the pandemic. (laughs) Yeah, it was also because it was like a really, it was a bad thing that was happening. I didn't want to uh, think about what was happening. So I started thinking about things that happened when I was four or five or six years old. And it kind of, I just like daydreamed and tried to really see, like tried to bring my mind back to that moment and and, like try to see what I could see and like in that image, you know what I mean? Like in the moment. I mean, I don't know if it's accurate, the poems, but like I, I, I tried my best to see what was happening at that moment in my life. Mm. So many of the poems felt accurate to my experience. My So I, I grew up in Michigan. I grew up in, in Grand Rapids, um, which obviously like isn't a rural area, but you don't have to go too far. Um, and we had a lot of family friends growing up who like had horses or had a bunch of land or something like that. And so a lot of that just like running around in the woods, um, the poem about the chimney that you just like never found again, just (laughs) feels like so, it's so true. Um, (laughs) You know, like a lot of times people say that when you're saying something like, I don't know about like the way the, the, the society is, but like, um, there's something about the rural Midwest that is kind of magical, but only barely to me. <laughs> this is like kind of magical. Yeah. You know, like magical enough that you can go into the woods and find, you know, some structure and then never find it again. Um, but not so magical that, you know, we have a Midwestern Stephen King who's able to dredge up every single piece of folklore that we have. Yeah, we don't have a Midwestern Stephen King, do we? I don't think so. Not that I know of. 
Yeah, we. I mean, I mean, we had all this kind of acreage of really woodsy area in my town and in the towns next to it, and they would be tucked in between these different neighborhoods. And you can look on a map, and it's very green. But you could also like, you you could usually always hear like the sound of a semi truck passing. Mm-hmm. You could never. You would get to points like maybe you didn't hear it, but pretty soon you'd walk like 300 yards and boom, you hear a truck, you, you can hear a vehicle. So the noises of, of machinery never like quite always, it, it wasn't like you're in the Allegheny forest of Pennsylvania or you're in Oregon and you're in the forest or you're in the desert of Nevada and you're like completely submerged in silence except for the sound of a bug. All right. Cause like in Nevada, like you could go, and walk into the desert and the only thing you you might hear is a bug and um but you in ohio it's like you're in the forest and you found this weird structure but at the same time you can hear a truck or something you know a car a car motor a harley motor mm-hmm. it, going through the trees and but yeah we had we would had this you would walk through the woods and, and I remember one time my neighbor brought me to an abandoned house structure and there were all these bottles and she would like dig stuff up like she was an anthropologist. I never found this when I grew up, you know, and there was my brother brought me to a chimney. I never found that when I grew up. But I found, you know, there was this one part where this old dam was or something, these huge cement structures and, and you had to crawl on the ground for about a hundred yards through jagger bushes and you'd be all cut up and everything and you'd finally get there and um barely anyone knew where it was people were always completely surprised when i'd show it to them and i even asked the town historian and i said what is that i took pictures of it, and she was like i have no idea <laughs> why that is there in the middle of the woods and uh so yeah it has this like uh element of magic i guess we had this place called five points we would drive to and you would park your car under a trestle and some kind of ghost stuff would happen mm-hmm. <laughs> things like that do you have any of those and where you grew up hmm. nothing super like haunted i know up north a little bit like an hour and a half or something oh my dog's got the squeaky toy that's good um there's like an abandoned asylum that's supposed to be haunted but i've never been there i um what what i've found is like i'll go to a park and there's i'm gonna steal this from you bud sorry okay we like go to a park and there's like a boardwalk and we go down the boardwalk and suddenly we're across town and then similarly like from going there as a kid to actually living near that park as an adult like the boardwalk is just completely gone like apparently it's closed but there's no evidence it was ever there <laughs> and like, I, re- I remember i was sitting next to a creek by where that's supposed to be and this guy rode his bike up to me and he's like hey man i used to live here a long time ago and i moved across the country and i'm back now visiting with family or whatever and there used to be a boardwalk here do you know where that was no bud I have no idea. <laughs> like I know it was supposed to be this park. Pokemon Go has a has a Pokestop here that says like there's the boardwalk and there's just nothing. Like it just got totally consumed. It 
almost feels sometimes in some spaces like there's just kind of like two realities just kind of intersecting and every once in a while they they diverge and then sometimes they're there i know my friends in high school talked about like this tunnel that was just like a drainage tunnel that went like under the road (laughs) and stuff like that and i never went and i don't know where it is they'd like would describe where it is and never found it that sort of thing so (laughs) same but different i suppose oh my gosh yeah like these weird structures that no one can find anymore but like they people once knew they were there Mm-hmm. Well, yeah kind of like i guess that's like a metaphor for life though mm-hmm. you know there's a lot of things you can't return to and you can't even find them anymore yeah there, there's something about growing up here that that i find kind of strange where like i remember one time we went playing paintball out in the woods with some family friends and like there were a bunch of dudes there that I guess were like friends of them and we were on one of their land and like I just for whatever reason I don't remember anything about it we only went the one time um and just like just what those weird things of growing up where it's just like a super novel experience um that has like no context around it anymore now that I'm an adult (laughs) just like I just remember running around in the woods with a paintball gun being terrified. Yeah. And also just it being incredibly fun. Oh man, I did paintball one time. I don't even know why I did it. And it was these kids from high school were into it. And as soon as I walked out, I was like 30 seconds into it. And I walked behind, I came out behind the thing and someone shot me right in the neck. Mm. I was done for the entire day. It like missed the helmet. Oh dear. And missed my coat. Like it was the only skin exposed in my whole body and it hit me right in the neck. And um, they were like, you're done. You're like bleeding everywhere. You're fucking. Oh, you're, I'm like 14 years old. And they're like, you're done. It was like 35 seconds of life. And I was just like, I am never going to watch a war movie the same again. I guess you just shot. <laughs> right. <laughs> nothing heroic happens either you don't get shot or you get shot that's all that happens mm-hmm. yeah the first whatever 15 minutes of saving private ryan so you had the forest experience and everything in the midwest yeah yeah i did there there were you know there's there's decent amounts of like wooded parks um and and like I said, we had some some family friends who lived on land that, and some of it was just like untouched, um, but not a lot of it, like just enough of it to still find it kind of novel. Um, that other people got a lot of it, you know. Like I got just like the taste of country life, growing up, like en- enough to know that I'll probably never live in the South, sort of thing. <laughs> Well, I, the town I grew up in was called Vienna, or it's called Vienna, and uh, it's spelled like Vienna, mm-hmm. but they called it Vienna, and um, all the towns had names that were mispronounced like that, um, and it was about, it's about two or 3,000 people, and there were about 70 to 90 kids in a class, and uh, we had the biggest class in years. We had 90 kids in our graduating class. Mm. And with two towns combined. But you could get in a car and drive 
you know, 20 minutes and you would be in Youngstown or in Warren, which were kind of like little cities. But the thing is, my parents never brought me there. So kind of the book, I wanted to have that world where your parents don't drive you places they don't want you to go. Mm -hmm. They don't drive you places that they don't go. So you live in like an enclosed world. Like I was like such a sheltered person. And when I graduated high school, I got in my car and I drove to the Grand Canyon to work for the summer. I, I graduated on a Friday and left on a Sunday. And I was immediately attacked by my shelteredness. I messed everything up. I screwed everything up. I didn't know what to do with people. I was too excited, mm. too easily to take advantage of. I was constantly being manipulated by like people slightly older. And I was, because my enthusiasm was really over like it was over the amount that say you if you grew up in a city you wouldn't have been so enthusiastic or something mm-hmm. and so gullible because your enthusiasm can make you gullible you know right and um so i would just be really really gullible and wanted to do everything and trusted people and because they weren't I, I didn't i lived in that enclosed world so i didn't know that people were so you know could be mean or could be untrustworthy or I lived in a world where if I go to the convenience store or to a bar, I'm going to see someone I know. And then they're going to say, hey, Noah, um, what, high, what high school did you go to? If I meet if I meet someone new, they're going to be like, what high school did you go to? And I'm like, oh, I went to this high school. And they're like, oh, my cousin goes there. And I go, what high school did you go to? And I go, oh, do you know this person? And that's how small it was. But I live in Las Vegas now. Which really helps because I've lived here for eight, nine years, I don't know, a while now. And um, I, that doesn't happen here. Like, I enter a Starbucks right now, and no one is from Las Vegas, except for maybe three or four people, the baristas, probably. Mm-hmm. And this person is from the Philippines, and this person is from Korea, and this person is from El Salvador, and this person is from Mexico. And this person is, like, you know, from um, Sacramento or Chicago. I don't know what high school they went to. We can't ask that question. Yeah. Like I have to, nobody, I can go for days and not know a single person. I've dated people through OkCupid on Las Vegas that like lived across town for like several months. I've never seen that human again. Mm. Never seen them because we all have our own Smiths. We have our own Starbucks. We have our own, you know, we our own bars in our neighborhood that we go to. So I did. I live in a world now where I'm completely invisible. And when I lived in Ohio in that town, if I walked, like I went back to vacation there for uh, like four days in 2016, I went into bars and people were like, Noah, how's it going? And I'm like, I haven't even lived here in six years, dude. And I'm like, I don't remember your name. They're like, oh, my name's this. Remember we used to hang out at this thing? We did karaoke together once. We sang a song. Mm. And I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 I remember. And like you, you, I lived in a world and it's such a comfortable world. You know, you live in a world where you go to Circle K and like you enter the Circle K and your friend Joe is there or this girl you graduated from high school with that will politely say hi to you. And you feel kind of famous all the time because mm. you're integral. You feel integral to the world that exists. And as in Las Vegas, you, 
don't ever feel integral, which is a really high suicide rate here because oh. you never feel like you're um, part of anything. Right. Like you, like unless you really like I like I'm white, and I'm like unless you're really open and can you know be friends with people that aren't like you, didn't have the same childhood. And you can you can manage friendships, but like you you don't you can go days without seeing a person you know easily. Hmm. And so I like became friends with all the Starbucks baristas. They all know my name. I know their names. I know if they're in college or not. They try to like recreate small town life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. We went up to. Uh my wife and I went up to Mackinac City which is right up where the lower peninsula of Michigan would you'd cross the bridge and we went in like October which was the off season and it was the wildest thing to like go to a restaurant that has two floors and like 50 waiters and nobody's there because it's the off season and walking around like the neighborhood area of that town just to like see what the houses are um and you know like i enjoy tourist trap cities and i've never been to vegas but i feel like whatever that feeling is in mackinac city has got to be just like a million times more in vegas where there is no off season you mean like always the there's always tourists and yeah always... i can't so the so the strip in downtown they are like um 20 minutes by car and the and the downtown is about 15 minutes by car and i never i haven't i have been to the strip maybe one time in the last four years like just one or two times hmm. because this is, an, I mean, like, people don't even know. I mean, yeah, I got, like, sh the world should know this. But, like, it's seriously, like, if you go to the strip from in the city, like, if you're dropped off on an airplane and then a bus or something brings you to your hotel, you're like, you oh, know, it's like life. You're on vacation. You're having a good time if you're in the car or not. But, like, you literally have to, like, drive there, and it takes you, like, an hour to park your car. Mm -hmm. And they want, like, $15. And then a water costs, like, a Dasani cost $8 in the strip thing. And so um, no one ever goes. I don't know anyone. Has, we never talk about it. We never mention it. I, I think it's almost like the, if you lived in Los Angeles and you never mentioned Disneyland. Mm. And you kind of like, you knew it was there. And you knew that like, like I saw a Tegan and Sarah show in a casino. And like sometimes they'll have a concert at, at like the Hard Rock, and um, but like last, I mean, one time I went down there, my and you know, Uber won't drop you off there, and Uber won't pick you up hmm. because it's just impossible because there's too many cars and too many people. So they have and they have the taxis made a deal with them that Uber couldn't go to certain locations, so you can't use uber and uber would get me home for like maybe ten dollars you have to take a 70 dollar taxi mm. seriously to get to my house 
in an Uber is ten or twelve dollars to the strip. To take a taxi is seventy-five to, to ninety. Like we're talking a huge discrepancy of money. Right. Yeah. That's like living in a different country. Yeah, it's really fucked up. And they made that rule so Uber because taxis had been here for decades and they have a union. Right. And uh, so it's not it's a really it's really tough to go down there now. It's like a tough actually emotionally for me, I can't emotionally take it. It's like really so many people and so much weird stuff. The downtown's really nice and I can get there in about like 14 minutes. And you can park your car like 10 blocks away and walk up and there's a place to eat and there's, you know, stuff to do. And it's not, it's not overwhelming psychologically. Mm. You're not like under assault. <laughs> right. Yeah. And uh, like the downtown, there's a lot of people, but they're usually younger people and funnier people. I don't know. But the strip is like Midwest, Texas kind of people hmm. you know like just shit tons of moms and stuff and dads is this like a dad mom fest or something right and it's so i don't know it's like not it's not chill because you're gonna you're gonna it's like hours of your life get ripped away from you and you've blown like 150 dollars with nothing to show for it right and i mean 150 dollars at your bare minimum right just taking a shit down there like just like i'm gonna take a shit and buy a water and like yeah <laughs> i don't know why i told you all that i mean i don't know <laughs> it's, it's good to know i love uh, i love that sort of perspective of of you know like the people who are around the big thing that feels impersonal uh one of the things I noticed while reading uh, was the... There were a couple of poems, but the one about the salamander, which I think is just called Salamander, um, like, really spoke to me as, like, um, there's this type of person who just... And maybe this is me projecting, but, like, who who doesn't belong in like the small town that has like all the hunting and stuff like that. Like I remember I'd go out to the woods with people who like to hunt and they'd be pointing out like game trails and stuff like that. And I'd be like, yeah, but this flower is pretty. <laughs> and like that, that in and of itself, like even without anybody like being mean to me about like not going hunting or whatever, or never inviting me up to deer camp, like even without all that, just like knowing that like there's, these two different ways of of looking at the world around you the natural world around you like led me to to know that like i don't belong there it is um i mean this this conflict that you talk about has been front and center in my mind since i was a child you know that is actually like one of the deepest questions of my life Mm. is that dichotomy or juxtaposition i'm not sure which one it's like because my brothers and my mother's family were all really huge hunters and fishers and um they we had at least 10 guns in the house you know we had a deer head on the wall 
and they would hunt every year during deer season and my mother's family hunted constantly just always hunting and it was just very um i would say it's like a super protestant view of nature where you are the you the world is yours you are entitled to the world and there was no the thing is that i noticed was that it isn't just hunting Mm. like people would come and say i will give you a thousand dollars if you let me cut down a hundred yards of tree Mm. and they would let them do it they would come and say i will put a tiny oil well or natural gas well on your land and i'll give you some of the money from it and they would let them do it so it was it was a very much an all i mean it's very like fox news takes this and runs and it's the it's the mindset where you own you are entitled to whatever's on the earth you are not you you are not one with the earth at all like you are person, the rest of it is like your stuff it's god gave it to you which i don't think that's really what it says in the book i don't think it says in the bible you should put an oil well or kill things i think it pretty much sure is you should farm and farm stuff like it doesn't say uh, you're stretching it you're extrapolating things that aren't there what is it called i don't know there's a word there's words for it and um they were had a very much like this is the world they didn't see it as a kind of like a biological structure that one engages in and then becomes part of like i walk into the desert but i am also the desert when i'm in the desert and like everything else in the desert i shouldn't you know i don't i, I should leave it the way it is because i'm i've come to it to be part of it i've come to the woods i'm part of the woods i shouldn't leave my wrappers and my bottles and shoot the things in the woods um but also at the same time there are way too many white-tailed deer there are there i've you know there's millions more than there should be biologically and so they have to shoot them because there's too many and they'll eat each other's food and then they'll start starving and, and then they'll die with little i can't remember it's like they start eating sticks and they start yeah. doing all kinds of things but there's always a thing in uh perception is so weird because there's nothing evil about maintaining a population for the sake of the deer but are you doing it for the sake of the deer or are you doing it for the sake of yourself i mean there's nothing wrong with football but there is something wrong with huge giant corporations parading themselves out like gods at the event and then you pay an athlete millions of dollars and the owner millions of dollars and then all the concessionaires 950 yeah there there's nothing existentially wrong with baseball nothing wrong with the ball there's nothing wrong with throwing the ball but you can but you can turn this kind of a okay thing into you know you know you know what i mean like this isn't this isn't you know this isn't big philosophy or something so yeah you could hunt because there's too many deer and if there's too many in a given area they'll eat each other's food supply and then 
but I don't think those guys are really viewing it because it's a four wheeler thing too. Because mm. in Ohio, they would rip the forest into pieces with dirt bikes and four wheelers. They would see a hill. I remember they would see a hill or something, Pennsylvania or in Ohio. They would bring out the chainsaws and they would saw down the trees and then they would rip it to pieces with dirt bikes. In 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 Nevada, if there is a trail that people shouldn't walk on because it even hurts some kind of tiny plant, they will put up fence around, a mesh fence around it. Hmm. And people will like follow the rules. There's no dirt bikes on the trail. There's no there's trails for bicycles and there's trails for no bicycles. And people follow the rules and they don't question it. It never occurs to them to like spray paint Metallica on a rock or, you know, yeah, it doesn't, it's not, it doesn't like I went in Pennsylvania. There's this big place called bear town rocks with these big, huge rocks and they're all spray painted and people it's like a different mindset. Like you see the nature and you're like, okay, this is, uh, some, I guess the word is reverence. Mm-hmm. So there's a reverence for what you're encountering, but there's no reverence. I don't know. I mean, my brother hunted and he got really spiritual with it and he would put deer pee on himself, <laughs> and shoot them with a bow and arrow. And, um, but when I was young, I saw that, like I would hold I didn't want to kill anything. I didn't hunt ever. Right. And they are like, you're 12 years old. You can, you can get your hunter's license now. And I was like, I don't care. I, I can't, I, I don't, uh, it's not what I, and another thing too is like, uh, they had dirt bikes. And when I was like 13 or 14, I was like, I don't ever want a dirt bike again. And I was like, I'll just walk through the woods. Mm-hmm. And they were like, why would you just walk? And I'm like, okay. But it's, it's so weird. Um, so my, my grandpa, he was one of those like tough and rumble kind of, you know, World War II generation men, right? And he owned land and he chainsaw trees and he would spend statistically a lot of time in nature. And he would put out a tent in the summer on his property that is that had no house and no bathroom and no electricity and he would put a tent there and throw this old rickety bed inside of the tent and sleep in there for like two months as a 70 year old man and uh chopping down trees and driving around a brush hog all day 70 years old you know and you think well that guy's really into nature and like he is you know there's all these you know similarities and then, then I grow up and I'm like, you know, I hiked to the grand bottom of the grand. When I say it to the hunter people, I went, to, I hiked to the bottom of the grand Canyon. I walked all the way down to the bottom and walked back up. It means nothing to them. Like, it means like, why would you do that? Yeah. That's not, it, it's, it's so far away from their category of what you should be doing in nature. Like, why are you walking? You can't afford a motorcycle because you don't go to work. <laughs> yeah. Like, the, why don't you get a better fucking job, Noah? There's like, a utility all... to, to nature for, for, you know, that sort of person where like the trees are there to be cut down. 
the deer yeah. are there to be hunted. Like that is what that is the purpose. So I will fulfill the purpose of of the nature. <clears throat> the purpose of nature is to cut it down. <laughs> it's to, to be to be acted upon, to be changed by those who can change it. But yeah, mm-hmm. like I remember hearing that all the time about like hiking and stuff like that. So what? You're going to walk up to the top of a mountain so that you can walk down again? That seems ridiculous. Why would you do that? But at the same time, like spending eight hours a day clearing brush or raking leaves or whatever, it's like, that's good outside time. Yeah, it's so weird. I remember when I read Dharma Bums in high school. Remember that book, Dharma Bums? Um, I don't know if I've read that one. Jack Kerouac? No, I haven't read Kerouac, unfortunately. Oh my gosh. I know. Okay. So he in the in the book he like hikes to the top of a mountain and stuff, and uh, I was like a kid and I was like wow that's really great that's a really a cool thing especially from the town I was in I was like no one was talking about such a thing like no one ever said like let's just do a nature walk or let's do this it was like completely weird. <laughs>